0: privilege to be here with you I was sitting in the back is is my norm um, kind of a I'm a creature of habit I don't know if you are but I am really a creature of habit I love to do things kind of the same go into some sort of a routine and you did it when I played ball and now I do it when I preach it's really funny and I was looking in the back and I was looking around this room and I I was just asking the Lord to bless you people I was asking the Lord to bless all that he has for us. This has been a magnificent week for, uh, for me, for this church, for some families. I had one of the most unique experiences this week. Um, I did something nobody wants to, to do. Uh, I was a part of a funeral burying a mom and dad's son, uh, the Mohler family. I don't know that I've ever been around a group of people who were so kind and loving with one another and to those around them. And I sat in awe as I watched this memorial service for this young man take place. I, I looked into the eyes of his fiancée. They were going to marry next month. And now he's gone, but there was strength in her eyes. There was love in her. It was, it was really quite an incredible moment for me went from there to another meeting that I'll tell you about in a, at the end of the service that just absolutely overwhelmed me. Overwhelmed me. And then that was Thursday and then Friday, we had Third Friday here last night. The place was all in round tables and people were eating and the people who were here just, just having a glorious time. And, and I thought, what a privilege to be a part of this church so as I sat in the back of this, this church and, and, and thought about all of you, I couldn't help but be overwhelmed to, to just be privileged to be a, hopefully that you would consider me a friend. I'm, I'm certain you do, but I just hopefully wish you would not see me so much as a pastor. I am that. I'm not trying to deny any of that. But um, I would much prefer to be your friend I would much prefer to be someone that you just know, and just got to got to know me, and me you. That's that's my heart. All of this other stuff, when our lives are over with, they'll be done. Whether someone was a pastor of this magnificent church or a small church or or whatever we did is going to be immaterial. It it won't matter. What will matter is how much we love the Lord, how much we loved one another, and how we were kind to each other while we were here on this earth. We're in a wonderful, I mean the most magnificent place in Scripture. Would you turn with me please to Joshua? I want you to turn with me to the fifth chapter. My intent was to finish this chapter. Honestly, I could not. I I could not. It would have been unkind, number one, to the Lord. It would have been unkind to you. This place in Scripture goes so deep that it will overwhelm you and me if it's taught properly. Now, what I'm going to ask is what I always ask, that I would get to move aside. I'm going to ask that the Lord bless you tonight as we take a look at these three simple verses that I promise you that probably would be overlooked if we didn't look into it and see what is the purpose here. Why did God have this nation of people? million, two million? I don't know. There's it differentiates from the commentaries. But all of these people crossed over into the promised land. And as soon as they got there, God had all the men within a certain age be circumcised. All of them. Why? Scripture teaches us. And not to know why would to miss in your life and in my life why God does what He does with us today. You see, we are to search the Scriptures, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. I think it's the... We're going to look at it later. It's the 10th chapter, the 11th verse. We're to examine the Scriptures to see if these things that we're reading about are not so and to see how and what it means to us today. Everything ties together. And that's the purpose of studying the Bible as we do. To bring into context what we are reading and studying in the Old Testament, how relevant it is to us today. And I'm here to say to you, it is extremely relevant. For some of us here tonight, we are going to be convicted a little bit. Maybe. For others of us here tonight, we're going to be really comforted with the way we're living and how we're living for the Lord. I want you to read with me just three verses. And I, uh, well, I'm i not going to apologize. I'm going to, though, read verse 9. So I want to read four verses. Verse 9 through 12. It said, that, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Verse 10, While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the fourteenth day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. And on the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes, In parched grain. Verse 12, really important. And the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year for 40 years. For 40 years. Everything that they ate was supplied by God. Manna. It stopped. Why? We need to know. Did God stop supplying? No. No. Let's pray and then study and see. Please pray with me. This is is an exciting place in Scripture. Father, would you please do us the greatest of privileges, would you, Father, give us ordinary people, extraordinary understanding? Would you, as it says in Psalms 119, open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? May we look upon these words as they ought to be looked upon, as holy, as been given to us as food from your heart to ours. I ask, Father, that you would move me aside, much too important of a place, Father, to entrust to just a a human being. You guide us. You lead us you open up the hearts of each of us, our thoughts, our minds, our character, everything that we are, so that we might really get a a taste, if you would, Father, of your greatness, your kindness, all that you are. Bless this service, please. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Israel's sin was that Kadesh Barnea, Barnea. their sin was a reproach upon them, as we just read in verse 9. God says in verse 9, He said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so that the name of that place is called Gilgal. Gilgal means to roll. To this day, Their reproach, the sin, was that they did not, their families did not, not these people, but their moms and their dads did not originally go into the land like God had commanded them to go into the land. They listened to the ten spies that said, we cannot take these people. When God said, you can, Joshua and Caleb said, we can, God has given us this land. And so now, because they did not go into the land, there was a reproach upon all of them, a sin upon them, and God did not let them go into the land. But now, all of that is in the past. This new generation has come and moved into the land in Jericho, the sin, as it says in verse 19, the reproach at Kadesh of Bernier was now completely gone. God removed it. And what God did was on each man that crossed that river, He bore upon His body a mark. The mark was circumcision. That reminded all of them that they belonged to God and that they were now quote unquote sons of the covenant through circumcision you see by God's law verses 10 11 and 12 to understand the law of God is to understand what has just taken place by the law of God I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 12 hold your place here turn back with me now Exodus chapter 12 by the law of God no male no male could participate in the feast of Passover unless that person had been circumcised once they were circumcised they were then called a true son of the covenant of God Exodus chapter 12, verse 42. Now, Exodus chapter 12 talks about the Passover lamb, that they were to get this lamb, they were to bring it into their homes, they were to care for this lamb, and a few days later they were to kill that lamb and put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of their home. Jump way to near the end of chapter 12. Look at verse 42. It says in verse 42, It is a night to be observed for the Lord, talking about Passover and the meal that they are going to have, for having brought them out of the land of Egypt. This night is for the Lord. It is to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. Verse 43, And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. But every man's slave purchased with money after you have circumcised him then he may eat of it. A sojourner, a hired servant shall not eat of it. Verse 46 It is to be eaten in a single house You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. Verse 47, all the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. But if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near to celebrate it And he shall be like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law shall apply to the natives, in other words, to those of Israel, as to the stranger who sojourns among you. Verse 50 says, Then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And it came about on that same day that the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. And so, what we now see is that for them to celebrate this covenant, to be true children of the covenant, the promises of God, they had to be obedient and their obedience was to be circumcised. And no one... Who was, how can I say that? I don't want to put a double negative. I'll get myself confused. You could not n- not be circumcised, I did it anyways, and ex- expect to receive the blessings. You had to be circumcised, and then you were to be a child of the covenant, the promises of God. So, what we see here is a point of obedience, make no doubt about it, and faith. I mean, how many of the, the older guys that, that, that now cross the river say, I'm not going to get circumcised. Not me. No, but everybody had to. By the flesh being cut away through circumcision. We see that all the spiritual, all of the blessings, all of the spiritual messages are there for us today. And, and this is it. Watch. Our old nature is absolutely of no good Our old nature is of no value to us because our old nature cannot inherit or enjoy spiritual blessings. Our old nature, to not be a child of God through the person of Jesus Christ will not enable us to enjoy the things of God now. Jump way into the New Testament to Galatians chapter 5, please. Paul, hopefully, is going to explain much better what I just tried to explain to you. What I'm trying to show you is that obedience and faithfulness by the sons of Israel when they crossed the Jordan was imperative for them to trust and believe God at His Word and to be circumcised. Because they knew in the Old Testament, without being circumcised, they could, not, they could not enjoy or experience the Passover meal. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul says, The flesh sets its desire against the f- spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. That word, sets it, is, its desire, literally means is at war with is at war with. So let me read Galatians 5, 17, now complete. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul realized... Stay here. Now, go back a little bit to Romans chapter 7, please. Paul realized that there was absolutely no good in his old nature. And that's what God was saying to the people of Israel because of Passover. There was no good in their old nature. And Paul discovered that there was no power in his new nature either. That is, there was nothing good in his old nature. There was no power in his new nature apart from Jesus Christ. Watch. Romans chapter 7, read with me verse 14. Paul says this, wonderful place in Scripture. Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual, but he says, I am of flesh. I am sold into the bondage to sin. He says in verse 15, an amazing verse, for that which I am doing, I do not understand For I am not practicing what I would like to do. I am doing the very thing I hate. What he is saying is of Galatians 5:17. His flesh has set its spirit, or set its its opposition against his spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. They are at war with one another. And so he says here in verse 15, I want to do good, but I'm I'm not doing what I want. I don't want to. Show, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us wrestle through that. How many of us get convicted on church or reading the Bible or studying the Bible and say, "Boy, that's it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I want to change my life." And half an hour later, you're doing something that you said, "How in the world did I do that?" Remember, I tell you, this is my little. My little guideline here is my watch. I bought a, a cheap watch that beeps. I have it for a reason, not to tell me what time it is, but to tell me, John, are you even walking with the Lord? And I am amazed sometimes how far I can get away from what I wanted to do an hour earlier, just an hour later. My flesh is fighting against my spirit, and my spirit is fighting against my flesh. And so Paul says, me too, John. I'm fighting that same fight things that I'm doing I do the very things I hate he says in verse 18 I, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh he says the wishing is good that's present in me but the doing of good isn't man do you do you see why I love Paul I mean really I mean how much how straightforward can he be he's not trying to tell you and me that he's this super spiritual saint that has it all together He's saying, I'm wrestling through the same things that you're wrestling through. He says in verse 20, but if I'm doing the very things I don't wish, then I'm no longer the one doing it. It's sin that's dwelling within me. He says, I joyfully, verse 22, excuse me, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Verse 23, he says, I see a different law in the members of my body. They are waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched, I love verse 24, Paul says, wretched man that I am. Who's going to set me free from the body of this death? And then here's the hallelujah choir. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand I myself with my mind I'm trying to serve the law of God, but on the other with my flesh I'm serving the law of sin. There is, verse, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That is, if this was a Pentecostal church, you'd be laying down in the aisles rolling around right now and I'd have to wait for you to get back up in your seats. <laughs> that is as good a news as you're going to read. There is now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, we are hopelessly lost without Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God within us is trying to make us into the person that God has created us to be. And that comes and that happens when you and I submit ourselves to the obedience of Christ and to live with Him, for Him, by Him, by faith. And that's what circumcision was mostly about. It was allowing them to do something by faith and being obedient to the very person of God. Let's go back to uh, Joshua chapter 5. I hope this is coming to kind of some clear picture with us. So now, now we come to realize that the Old Testament manna, the food that they ate that dropped down from heaven every day in the morning like the dew, that picture in the Old Testament is the New Testament picture of Christ. I wish I wouldn't have asked you to come back to Joshua. I would love for you to go back to John chapter 6. Please forgive me. I'll try to do better tomorrow. It is a New Testament picture, the manna is, of the death and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And Jesus makes this statement. In John chapter 6, verses 49 through 51 Jesus says, your fathers, he's talking about what we are reading about here in Joshua. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and he said, they died. But he says in verse 50, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Whoa. Verse 51, listen closely to Jesus Christ. He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. He was, people, the manna. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Amazing. Utterly amazing. Amazing. In the Old Testament, the manna which kept them alive represented the coming sufficiency that you and I today experience in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our manna, our sufficiency. He is our food that we eat and maintain our spiritual lives. See, to picture some important spiritual truth, you and I need to look at the Old Testament and compare it with the New Testament and vice versa. As I said to you out of 1 Corinthians 10 11, these things happened. The things of manna, they happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction so that you and I would learn from what they did upon whom the ends of the ages have come. For instance... Israel's crossing the Jordan River. That is a picture of believers dying to themselves and entering by faith into their inheritance. We've said over and over again that Ephesians ties in closely with Joshua. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you and me with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. As they cross the Jordan River because of Jesus Christ, we have inherited this blessing that God wants to give you and me. This is stuff that you and I have got to start to believe and trust and see in our lives and, and, and not, not count things as, wow, what a fortunate coincidence. We need to start th- seeing things that happen to us as, as the hand of God moving upon our lives. And you're going to see that tonight, I believe. Like Israel, God, doesn't, God does not want you and me as believers to wander in the wilderness of unbelief. He wants us to cross over into this new inheritance that we have, this promised land that is ours. He wants for us to claim the inheritance that we have by faith. He wants us to conquer our enemies. He wants us to enjoy the spiritual rest that comes to those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ and walk with Him on a daily basis. You see, all of us, every single one of us here is identified with Christ if we have trusted in Him as our Lord and Savior. We have identified in His death. We have identified in His life. We have identified in His burial. We have been identified in His resurrection. And we are identified in His ascension. Is going to be in heaven itself. This Old Testament truth is a picture of israel crossing the jordan river that's their inheritance that's the promise of god and so like them you and i are saved we're saved from the penalty of sin because of christ who is our substitution our payment our propitiation if you would Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates His own love towards you and me in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. He's our payment. Without Him, we're hopelessly lost. Our substitution is Christ. He died for us. And so we are also saved from the power of sin because of what He'd done for us, because of our identification with Him. Galatians 2.20 tells us, not only did He die for us, but He says that you and I died symbolically with Him. Our old nature died with Him Our flesh died with Him if we can understand the truth of the Word of God and walk in obedience. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. Christ now lives in me. And the life he says that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me And gave himself up for me. You see, you and I can defeat the flesh. Like Paul, it will be a battle. Like Paul, it will always be a battle. It will never go away. You and I will never be able to say, I'm finally over with this battle. Not as long as we're breathing air and living as human beings. We will fight that fight the rest of our lives. But we've got victory. Because of Christ. We've got to believe what Jesus Christ says is true. We've got to see ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. How? I want to show you. It's it's in Scripture, Romans chapter 6. It is so simple, but it is profound. It's, here's how simple it is. I was watching television this week and I was looking for the station that was supposed to cover the football game. I wanted to watch uh, a football game. And I get to the station that's on and they're showing a guy that's selling a workout routine. You should have seen this guy. It's what I want to look like. And he said, for 90 days, if you do this For 90 days, and if you just work out this system in 90 days, you're gonna look like this. And he had this, you know, whoa, and you know, and I said, I I want that. (laughs) Here's the problem, and he nailed it too. He said it's not easy. He says for some of you that hear that it's easy to look like this, you think easy is sitting on your couch. And I go, he's talking to me. He says, you're going to have to get up off your couch and do this. And I realize I ain't going to have those. <laughs> I changed the station. There are too many Christians today that change the station. They just give up. It is profoundly simple to do what God has asked us to do, but it takes work. Watch. We've got to believe what God says is true. We've got to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. And how Romans chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Paul writes, For the death that he died, Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. He's done it for you. He doesn't have to do it again. You accept Him in your heart. You've got Him. He has died for your sins. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. So consider yourselves, verse 11, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. The key is verse 13. It is either you get up off the couch and you do what you need to do to be in shape or you stay there. It is as simple as verse 13. It says in verse 13, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But, here's the hinge, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. You are not under the law. You're under grace. You see, folks, it is as simple as that. You have a choice to make you can either continue on this roller coaster ride that we go on as believers really happy and high and then something happens bad and down and out and we go this roller coaster ride and the bible says in John, i mean romans 6:13 that you can have a choice you need to choose to present yourselves to god and not to sin and that is a choice and let me say to you it is like lifting weights. When you first start working out, you can barely lift anything. But if you stay with it and you start working out, you can get stronger. And all of a sudden, the weights that you used to wrestle with, they're lighter. And you can work them now. But you have to have heavier weights to make yourself get a little more stronger. It is choices that you and I make. And it is, takes time. In other words, if you continue to ask God to forgive you when you sin. And if you do that regularly, don't wait for nighttime when you... Lay your head down on the pillow and you think, Oh, what did I do wrong today so that I can go to bed? In case I die, I have it all confessed. No, when you do something wrong, and if you see that you've done something wrong, that moment, stop and say, God, please forgive me. I am wrong. You are right. Forgive me of my sin. And if you do that over and over and over and over and over again, I make a promise to you, like that guy did on television, I promise you that you will become spiritually stronger. Because when we sin, it's like we slap God in the face. And we keep on slapping Him in the face. And when we slap Him in the face and say, Oh God, I'm so sorry, forgive me. I did it again. And then a little while later, we boom, do it again. And we say, Oh God, please forgive me. And if you keep on doing this, and you keep on slapping like Him in the face, sooner or later you're going to go, enough, enough. I have dishonored my Lord enough. And that comes by asking Him over and over and over again to forgive you the moment you know that you've done something wrong. Stop presenting your bodies, as it says in verse 13, to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness, but rather present yourselves to God as alive from the dead. And that's the way to do it. It's you can go to seminars, you can go to classes, you can go to you can study the Bible all you want, but until you you start presenting yourselves to God as an instrument of righteousness, you'll never really make that turn to be the person that God has created you to be. And so you and I have symbolically crossed that river. We have crossed that river by faith faith in Jesus Christ. And we too now are in the promised land. And we experience that just by faith in Jesus Christ. It's all faith. To tie this all together, both the Red Sea that they crossed and the Jordan River which they crossed, by crossing the Red Sea, watch, it separated them from their old lifestyle. Their crossing the Jordan River was entering into their new inheritance that you and I have. We experience this new life. We experience this circumcision. We experience this new inheritance through faith in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, and 12. In Him, you and I are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It's the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Jesus Christ. He has performed a circumcision on all of our hearts. We have been buried with him in baptism, and we were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who has raised us from, who has raised him from the dead and us as well. Back in Joshua, let me see if I'm right here. Yeah. In Joshua verses 11 and 12, the day after Pentecost, the manna ceased. It ended a 40-year cycle of miracle after miracle after miracle. Food, day in and day out. And now, they are not going to eat manna anymore. Now, it says in verse, the day after verse 11, the day after the Passover, they ate some of the produce of the land. They were not given manna. Verse 12 says, manna ceased on the day after that. They no longer had manna. You see, if Passover, to look at what was all taking place there in the day of Joshua, if Passover reminded the Jews of their redemption from Egypt, they left Egypt, the reproach of Egypt is now off of them, then manna reminded them of their desire to go back to Egypt. It's the fight between the flesh And the Spirit, let me show you. Look at Exodus chapter 16. We're going to have to look at a couple more verses. Exodus chapter 16 verse 3. Remember, we had explained to you already, the Jews were in the wilderness and they were grumbling and grumbling and grumbling against Moses and Aaron. I don't know how Moses and Aaron did it. I don't handle handle that very well. And people were coming after him. Well, look what they said. The sons of Israel said to them, Exodus 16, 3, Oh, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Oh, man, we would have been better off there, you know. Why in the world we're following you, I have no idea. We sat by the pots of meat. We ate bread to the full. By the way, that's a lie. Their memory is gone, and you brought us out of into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, and so God fed his people. want to see great verses you know what you know what god I, I I just found this this week. you know what God fed his people he fed them the food from heaven itself, angels' bread and they complained. Look, please, quickly, Psalm 78, 23, 4, and 5. You won't believe this wonderful psalm. God fed His people food from heaven. He fed them the bread of angels, and they complained. Oh, I don't know how God puts up with us. Verse 23, Yet He commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven, it says, in Psalm seventy-eight, twenty-three, verse 24, it says, God rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Verse 25, man did eat the bread of angels and God sent them this food in abundance. They could have eaten as much as they wanted. And yet... Find Numbers chapter 11. Let's look and see what they did. Numbers chapter 11. And yet they lusted for the food of Egypt. You know what Egypt is? It's a type of our old lifestyle. How many of you know friends that accept Jesus Christ or appear that they accept Jesus Christ and after a while, because something happens in their life, they say, I, 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 I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm going back to my old lifestyle. I've had friends, lots of them. I've had people in ministry, lots of them. My wife and I have seen many that, that you know, pulled the ripcord and poof, the parachute opened up and they got out of ministry. It was just too tough. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. The rabble, I love it, he calls the people the rabble. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who's going to give us meat to eat? They say in verse 5, we remember the fish that we used to eat free in Egypt. That's a lie. We remember the cucumbers, the melons, oh, the leeks. Do you remember the leeks, darling? The leeks were so good. You know what they were in Egypt? They were slaves. They they, they ate what was given to them. Oh, those leeks. The onions, the garlic. His wife probably said, yeah, I remember. That's a pack of lies, folks. They were slaves. But now they say in verse 6, our appetite is gone there's nothing at all to look at except this manna food from heaven the bread of angels and they're complaining nothing to eat how sad here are people in ministry here are people who are christians complaining about what god has given us listen i'm not exempt i'm in that boat too i'm like paul I complain just as much as anyone else, sadly. Here's the problem. I said all of this to get to this one point. Listen to it. There is many problems in what took place in Joshua. There was many problems of the people of Israel who complained and complained and complained and complained and complained and didn't get to go into the promised land. Here's the problem amongst many God easily took them out of Egypt. But it was difficult for God to take Egypt out of the people. He easily took the people out of Egypt. It was like pulling teeth, taking Egypt out of the people. And Egypt is nothing more than our old life style. I want to ask you something. Is that your story? Was saving you relatively easy for God? But has it been difficult into making you a person that now desires to walk with Him, to be honorable, to be obedient, to become the person who is now growing in our faith. The question truly is, when we come to the conclusion of this message, is what kind of a Christian do you desire to become? Do you want to keep sitting on that couch and let the fat just roll? Or do you want to get up and walk with our God Be the person that God has called us to be. It is a choice. It's a choice. Each of you have, if you have Christ in your heart, you have all the power you need to be the person of God that God has called you to be. You have the power. It's a choice. Do you want to do it bad enough? Was it easy for God to save you? But is it hard for him to take that old lifestyle out of your life? That's a choice that you must make.